לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. shot at Israel from the Gaza Strip, reaching all the way to Tel Aviv. And uh, of course, we are all deeply, deeply connected personally and uh, with with family and with very good friends and just Klal Yisrael. We are connected to Israel in this irrevocable connection. And we are thinking about them and praying for strength and praying that these uh, uh, rockets cease uh, soon. Um, and uh, so we are also thinking about Parshiot Bahar B'chukotai, we're ending the Book of Bamidbar this uh, Shabbat. Book of Vayikra. There you go, that's where my head is in Bamidbar. We're ending the Book of Vayikra, which is located in a desert, at a mountain in a desert, which is how this Parsha begins. Bihar Sinai. Bihar Sinai. It's at the mountain of uh, Mount Sinai. In fact, the whole, the whole book takes place at Mount Sinai. Uh, there's no movement in this book and that and these the last two parshiot function as a kind of coda to the whole book reminding us that we've been located at Mount Sinai we haven't moved and we've gotten all of these laws ranging from the laws pertaining to sacrificial worship earlier on the different you know menu of uh, types of sacrifices um and all the way to laws pertaining to, Uh, diseases and the family and ethical conduct and how one constitutes um, the the society. If you could just talk for a minute about Bihar and about this this place and perhaps if you want to just remind or refresh our viewers and listeners who we thank for watching and listening the that Rashi that beautiful Rashi at the beginning Barry you want to just take it away there? So Bahar is, um, as you mentioned, is at the mountain. And um, the laws that come up first in the Parsha have to do with the sabbatical year and the jubilee year. Every seven years, the land had to rest. And the crops that came up were left for animals and people that needed to eat. Um, but nothing could actually be farmed. And in addition to that, there was a seven-year site, uh, a, a the seven-year cycle, there are seven such cycles comprising 49 years, which culminated in the Jubilee year, at which point the ram's horn, the shofar would be, or the yovel would be blown on Yom Kippur. And it gave us the inscription that made its way onto the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. 
you shall proclaim proclaim liberty um, to all the inhabitants of the land. Um, I've never been good at remembering quotations, so if you need the actual <laughs> quote, you can, you can read the bill, uh, read the bell. So the beginning <laughs> of the Parsha, though, is this great comment by Rashi, which is, Manyan Shmita Itzel Har Sinai, which um, in colloquial English, I could tell a nice story, but for another time, means what does this have to do with the price of tea in China? Rashi is puzzled that all of a sudden we have a, a description of the sabbatical and jubilee years linked to Mount Sinai. And the question, of course, is weren't all the laws given at Mount Sinai? Why did this have to be spelled out? And the answer is that just as all the details here are spelled out, so all the details for all the laws were given at Mount Sinai, which is one of the ways in which the rabbis read the oral law into the written law given at Mount Sinai. And what we're left with here is this image of B'nai Yisrael at this mountain receiving law about land tenure, which is how it's described in um, the modern commentary, about what has to happen for the Israelites to be able to keep the land. And it's quite striking that we have this image of Mount Sinai in the backdrop, as it were, when really the focus of the Parsha is on the future in the land. And there's a claim that the land can only be kept if the people follow God's law rather than do what their heart might impel them to do. It's okay, so... so if I may just, um, if I can build the, the idea of the seven years back to what we had last week. Last week were the the, the holiday cycles. At the end of Emor, we have Moadei Adonai, the, the holidays of the Lord, the festivals of the Lord, which are in the Bible, there are seven of them. There are seven holidays that take place in the first seven months. Um, and... Uh, and then we have this kind of punctuation with the, um, the, 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 the the Israelite man who curses uh, and Ben Ishai Yisraelit and Ben Shmitri, the cursing and the, the, the stoning of the, the cursor, and then the, uh, some rules relating to uh, you know, eye for eye, etc. Uh, we talked about the death penalty. And that, uh, now we have this uh, we're, we're back on time. We're back on units of time. So if Amor presents us with the units of time that are based on seven, that is seven days, seven-day units, which is Shabbat, and then the seven-month unit, including seven holidays, now we're moved, we, we have moved into the seven-year cycle. And if the seven-day cycle is about reminding ourselves that God has given us the gift of freedom, it's simply to punctuate the idea that we are free, there is the idea that that these seven years, seven-year cycles also punctuate life on a grand scale with, with freedom. So I guess I want to ask a couple of questions, which is, in what way is the Bible's framing of yearly time different from our year, our framing of time? Do we think in units of seven? And should we think in units of seven? And if we did think of units in seven, you know, what 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 would we be thinking of? What like, you know, uh, where 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 does the unit of seven begin for us? That's that's a really quick question. You know, perhaps you know people, you know, tell their 
you know, you 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 are you have your relationships in units of seven, right? So you have your your professional relationship in units of seven. You have your personal relationships. Maybe there's a rhythm, a cycle of all of these things. Um, and and I want you to think about that and compare it to you know the, our our own present cultural predilection for the decade. So what do you make of telling time by sevens or telling time by decades, Jeremy? But even the Bible. And just Hebrew um, knows a base ten system as well. Like when it's when it just counts things up, you know, it, it counts things like there's a hatasre thing. There's there's eleven and twenty-one when it when it counts, you know, things up. Um, it's it's not really like a base seven system. So even though I couldn't guess you know, what their numbers would have looked like. You know, we when I first went to Israel, and I knew that our numerals were called Arabic numbers, and then I, when I first went to Israel in, in Palestinian areas or whatever, and I realized that the Arabs don't use Arabic numbers. They use a variety. They use some variation on that. I was very surprised to see that the font of their numbers looked different. Um, uh, so I couldn't guess what, what Mark's ancient biblical era people would have made to indicate 10 or 10 or 11, or 20, or 31, or 34, but they did have a base 10 system, because that's how they describe it. Um, but I think that they think that just the rhythm of the universe is in sevens. Yeah. And I, I just find that mystically, um, and mythically, and poetically quite powerful. You know, that the earth has, the, the, the week has a Shabbos, the land has a Shabbos. People have a human scale Shabbos. The land has a has a you know has a has a agriculturally shaped Shabbat, and that's seven times seven for for uh, fifty. And that the, the forty nine and fifty plays into our calendar in another way, of course, which is also the time we're on right now. We're on the thirty fourth day of the Omer as we record we, as we uh, record this. And I got my got my haircut. Haircut yesterday. Um, yeah, thank you. And. Um, very uh, the passage from the passage from Pesach to Shavuot is also a seven cycle. Is also a seven cycle. So I think that they feel that they're like in in rhythm with a time scale that's beyond them. By the way, in Kabbalah, this was a in the Middle Ages. This was a fairly controversial position, and like sort of if you can say a funny thing like this, normative Kabbalah rejected it. Like uh, you know, I think Revised Gloria and associated people in, in uh, Sfat rejected this, but there was in the Middle Ages a doctrine known as Torah Hashmitot, the, the sabbatical cycles, and the the, the Talmud says in one place, um, the world will exist for 6,000 years and then lie fallow for 1,000 years. So the same basic idea of a time scale, it says in Tractate Sanhedrin, a time scale of six, six in that case, 6,000 units of work and 1,000 units of rest. And the Kabbalistic idea of Torah Hashmitot is that there will be like continual Shmitot. There'll be continual fullness and retrenchment, fullness and retrenchment for the whole universe. So for them, it's it's just like it's just like that's the that's the pulse, the systole and diastole of 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 existence is six and one, six and one, six and one. Yeah, I, I would add is that. The way that you've described the sabbatical year and the seven-year cycles is that time itself also needs a Shabbos. And, um, you know, what we're left with is this idea that 
the main concern of the Torah reading this week is time and space, and they're intimately linked. What do you mean? <laughs> so that's a good <laughs> that's a very good question. <laughs> so what I mean is that you know we 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 like to describe the world that we live in in four dimensions: the three dimensions of space, length, width, and um, height, and the dimension of time. And time is we understand there's something separate because we mark it differently, and it's very difficult. You know, we could. Imagine a three-dimensional graph to plot space, but no one is, or no one I know at least has quite figured out how to graph time and space in one visual apparatus. So this we live Einstein. our life. Einstein, space, space, time, curvature, something. I don't understand it, but yeah. Well, okay, I mean, so what I want to say is that our sense of time and space often are at odds with each other, and what the Torah is suggesting is that they're actually quite close to each other. Let me put the word relationship or relational in this, which is um, both in terms of human beings and their relationship to each other, and on the the, the human divine axis. That that, and so I want to ask this. You know, it's a, a favorite theme, which is that everything goes through a cycle, everything goes through a season, everything goes through phases. That's you know, uh, Kohelet, the beautiful chapter in Kohelet. There's a season for everything, and under heaven and life does go through seasons as we have no doubt talked about before and and that there is a relationship to the land that that obviously goes through its annual seasons based on agriculture but it goes in its septennial uh seasons because because when you have reached the end of the sixth year you're going to have this this seventh year and uh the the peculiarity of the seventh year is that a you're not supposed to plant or reap on the seventh year and b the sixth year is going to be such a bumper crop such a bumper harvest that the sixth year's harvest is going to last enough for the seventh year and enough to be able to plant and eat for the eighth year and also to eat on the ninth year so that you'll be able to reap the planted of the first year of the next cycle, the eighth year, already in the ninth year. That's that sounds uh, a little far fetched, and um, the idea being that you know God uh, says vitziviti vitziviti at birchati. I'm I'm going to command my blessing vitziviti at birchati. It's chapter twenty five, verse twenty one. Bashana shishit vasat atuali shloshanim. You're going to get a a, a trifold. Uh, crop like that kind of expansive crop uh produce on on the on the sixth year it sounds a little far-fetched in terms of you know well you know that's uh, a yiddish expression far-fetched yes. far <laughs> that you know what if the there's this famine in the sixth year i mean and, and of course you know we have we have plenty of proof in the bible of the existence of famine um and and so I want to ask, like, what is this saying, really? Is it is it a is this a poet poetic s- statement? Is it a literal statement or a non-literal statement? And, and my own inclination is, you know, friends, us who live in the non-orthodox world, you know, I, I run by the motto: friends don't let friends interpret the Bible literally. That that's that's a good motto for me. Friends don't let friends interpret. And I and I I see in this a kind of aspirational statement 
that that the cycles are imprinted in the universe in such a way that are to keep you relational, your relationship with God intact, and your relationship with each other intact. This this part you're saying right now to me is very, 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 very critical here. Um, I, I do think that the Bible wants us to say that our relationship to God is one of trust and and to say that the on orientation to the world is like this is going to be okay. Rely, be open, be trusting, and even though it doesn't seem promising, have some faith as you walk this this sometimes challenging journey. And I totally agree with that vis-a-vis God, vis-a-vis humanity and God or Israel and God. But the second thing you said, which I also think is really super central here, which is that the seventh cycle, the septennial cycle of a seventh year in which you do no productive agricultural work is is inextricable from the claim of renewed human equality in that seventh year. The owners of the land, they don't cede ownership of the land forever, but they don't effectively own it in the seventh year. Everybody has equal access to what grows wild in it. That's a, hu- that's a human equality thing. Um, the, the Jubilee cycle, so that's a return to a kind of primal equality, back to Eden, so to speak. Um, yeah, maybe even more than so to speak, back to Eden in a world which produces food on its own and everybody takes it equally. And then the 49th year into the 50th Jubilee, every family returns to an ancestral holding, gets a second start. And also in our parasha, which is very, very strong, is mitzvot about how to deal with poverty. And the commandment that you, if you're if your neighbor has had to sell off their land, you will you are commanded to buy it back from them. And and if it's you, you have you are commanded to loan them money, and you are commanded if Chaspa Khalila they go into debt slavery. You know, Bible has slavery, and we like, didn't they read the story about the freedom from Egypt? What in in the in the Bible, slavery is debt slavery. You owe somebody a hundred bucks, you can't pay. You have to go to work for them. Um you know, you stole something. You had you had the court imposed a hundred dollar penalty. You don't pay. You don't have the money. You have to go into debt slavery and work it off. If somebody goes in debt slavery, you have to help them out of it. You have to redeem them. Those are meets votes that are tied to a cycle in which we expect that we are going to help maintain a baseline of equality throughout the system, and especially every seventh year, we're going to have real social equality. That that's going to stabilize uh, our society in a big way. So again, it's it's aspirational because in reality these things broke down. There there was a shemitah, but I mean the history of these things. I mean I I only know the kind of like the 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 headlines of this history, which is that yeah they tried this you know there were shemitah, but in the end they were not effective. The jubilee may not have been observed uh, to the extent that it was because it was impossible. And maybe you know as aspirational, which has in a sense. The jubilee as the grand reset for the economy, a reset of landholding, a reset of of relationships. Um, you know that's aspirational. You know it. It. There, I mean, in terms of human to human relationships, you know, I I think um, the 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 statements relating to indentured servitude, lota avod bo avodat avid. You're not allowed to. Uh, uh, reduce someone to 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 slavery even when they are an indentured servant to you you can't give them rashi's beautiful comment you can't give them despicable work or or disgraceful work thing thing the kind of work 
that will demean them. That they will be recognized as a slave. And I love the the the, the um the illustration. You can't the guy can't walk behind you with with your clothing to the uh the, the, the bathhouse. And he can't function as your uh shoe, sh- you know, your your own personal shoe person. You can't, you can't make you can't make your slave tie your shoes. Exactly. And 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 then you have the the line Lotir Debo Farak, which is do not do not have that demeaning, uh, crushing work, the work of of Egypt. So there is a bit of sensitivity to the the relational aspect here that people have to realize that a they're free and that they're God servants. That so I, I yeah. want to bring us back to this bountiful sixth year for a moment. Because if we take the Bible at its word, at the end of the sixth year, you know how your next three years are going to be. Because if you don't have that much food, you're going to starve. Because there's no other way of getting food in the next few years without planting. And that reminds me that that's also true of the agricultural year in Israel, because the rainy season comes before the planting. So if there's not been enough rain already before you've begun your agricultural year, you already know that you're going to have problems. And as I get older, I become increasingly aware, perhaps, or sympathetic to the role of miracles in the Bible. And this sixth year is a miracle. It is something that God must bestow upon the people because it's not natural for land to produce three years worth of crops in one year. And it also is not natural for some of these laws to actually take place. I think one of the reasons why we have this reset that Jeremy spoke about is because if people are left to their natural devices, bad things will happen because our nature inclines as much to evil as it does to good, if not more so. And we need something to prevent that from happening. And I think part of what the Bible is teaching us is that law, conceived of as divine law, is meant to curb our natural inclinations so that we could truly live a blessed life. Yeah, but it's so radical. It's such a radical, you know, approach. We're radical people. Get used to of it. Of course we are. But, but you know, look, in the end, it doesn't work. We, we, we don't constitute our lives on, on the basis of this cycle anymore. It's as romantic as I want to be about you know, seven years and then a human being, human relationships, you know, children, parents, people who are married, you know, they, they do go in in cycles. There are certain cycles. Is it exactly seven years or not? You know, it, it functions as a useful frame. Certainly the decade idea functions as a useful. Otherwise, we wouldn't celebrate 20th anniversaries, 30th anniversaries, 25th anniversaries, 50th anniversaries. You know, these these are milestone you know, events for us. That that may be artificial, right? Maybe we should be more inclined to celebrating septennial anniversaries as opposed to decade anniversaries. Right, but the week itself is artificial because there's no astronomical correlative with it. So, so the day, yeah. the week, uh, yeah. the day, the month, and the year are all based on things that you can see, and the week is not. And what I would suggest is that the reason why the Bible organizes time along the sevens, is to teach something about that precisely. That so, there is an element of the unnatural in the way that we live a holy life. Because it's God's time. That's what my my shaking of my head, my rebuttal to you, is that 
Of course it's artificial, but it's not artificial. It's It's been imprinted, as far as the Bible is concerned, from day one, literally, day one. Well, no, it's from day seven. Day seven, but it starts with, you know, a first It does cycle. start with day one, I'll grant you that, but... Okay, but there's a first cycle that is imprinted <laughs> into the whole universe according to, you know, our, our worldview here. Right, that the that it's 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 not us that's it's Shabbat Ladonai, Shabbat Ladonai, right? And and so the seven years, but it's of, only Shabbat Ladonai if we observe it, right? Yeah. It's not enough for God. God okay. needs us. God needs us for that to 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 be the partner in that rhythm, right? Exactly, and that's that's part of that's the Amsegula nature of the Jewish people that the Jewish people is in sync with the divine rhythm okay but, but when it is not this when is the, it's not. yes here's the next part of the parsha yes go on so we're reading that because the holiday cycles will uh sometimes i mean it's not because the holiday cycles will disrupt the israel and diaspora correspondence uh total readings but it is a fact that they sometimes do and so you know, they get back on sync. Are they on sync now? Will they be on sync now again? I think uh, not so they come together. No. Not so? Shavuot. This way we have Shavuot. Shavuot's going to fall on the second day, Shavuot, and they're, they're on, back on the Torah reading. So. On Saturday, right. Um, so uh, we read double partial this weekend, Bechukotai, which happens to be the Bat Mitzvah portion of my beloved youngest child. My daughter Dillard. as well. <laughs> um, very short partial, which is good. Um, it, it's, it states that, you know, if you, if you, uh, I'll just read it to you, not just describe it. If you follow my commandments and faithfully observe my laws, I will grant you rains in a season and the earth will yield its produce and the trees of the field will yield their fruit. Your threshing will overtake the vintage and your vintage will overtake the sowing and you'll eat your fill of bread and dwell securely in your land and I'll grant peace in the land and you'll lie down untroubled be literal and say there will be no terrorism. Yes. And you'll you'll scare away your enemies and everything will go great. Um, and you will live in a society of abundance. But if you do not, and if you reject, if you do not walk in my ways, and if you do reject my commandments, I'm going to turn back to you and I'm going to terrify you and wreak misery on you. And the parch has a long series of curses. But one of the main themes of that passage is if you did not live in sync with the with the septennial cycles, you did not let the land rest, let land have her Shabbatot, she's going to have them, but it's because we have chased you away. We have scattered you away because you have disrupted the rhythm and the, and the rhythm will win out. You know, you can think about like when you look at the at these passages known as the tochecha, the rebuke, the, the terrifying, you know, God punishing the people, you know, like you think on theological levels, well, what kind of God image is that? Do I really want to, you know, if friends don't let friends read the Torah literally, then what kind of God is what puts all these very graphic punishments and 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 um uh you know abuse to the people? Well, actually, so in an era of ecological devastation, or which we fear ecological devastation, is actually acquires a lovely resonance, which is if you don't take care of the land, land's gonna be fine, but you're not. Yeah, there are consequences. I mean, it doesn't. We don't need to be literal here in the sense of seeing this. I, I think you know, Jews in the post-Holocaust era are quite traumatized by by reading passages like these, um, and certainly 
maybe in the pre-Holocaust era were traumatized by them, given the fact that um, you know they did experience all sorts of uh, you know other other pogroms and massacres prior to to that. I was reading that this is we're in the 900th anniversary of of one of the sets of massacres um, in the Crusades. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and and you know how these events, um, you know, they they had generational consequences for for Jews that that we may not be uh, appreciative so many years later, but they did affect the course of Jewish history in some ways. Um, but maybe to just say, look, there are consequences for your behavior. There are consequences for, and and there's a conditionality to your life. And there's a conditionality to your residency. It's very difficult for us to apprehend this, especially, you know, given the fact that, that you know, as far as Israel is concerned, as far as Zionism is concerned, you know, this, the Zionist project is meant to be a permanent, it's a permanent project. And it it's in tension with this, the, these passages in the Bible, which say, look, you know, don't, don't be so sure. You know, in fact, Jewish history includes you know, two convulsions where there was there were exiles, and we lived in the second exile for two thousand years, um, and and that's based on a biblical understanding of conditionality. It's very very difficult to 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 really wrap our minds around this. It's I, I, no wonder we want to see we want to chant this quietly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's a you know the custom to 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 simply just whispering these things. But you know, the Vilna Gaon said that. That's a stupid custom. Don't <laughs> go and said, "Do not chant these, you know, quietly. You're supposed to chant them, you know, loud, like the Torah, like any other part of the Torah." Any There's other also part. a custom to call the rabbi of the synagogue up for that aliyah. For that aliyah, so that yeah. the, the rabbi. So the is it the custom to call the rabbi for it's it's well it's, it's not shishi. No, you shouldn't wish curses on anyone else. So no, no, but it's the rabbi gets the aliyah afterwards, or the rabbi gets the aliyah. Oh, that one, the tochacha, because, because you don't it, want any of the badness of the aliyah to spill over. Onto yes, the yes, yes. Right, we have the rabbi can take it. Immunity, immunity, curse immunity. But what I would suggest, in light of my earlier comment, that this parsha is about people needing God. So if Bahar is about God needing us, Bahukotai is about us needing God, yeah. and it's a reminder. Because they're joined this year in the in the diaspora, that it's supposed to be a partnership, and you know you were talking about now interpreting the Bible literally. I think that one of the difficulties we have is that I think perhaps we're looking for new metaphors and haven't quite found them of what this partnership with God is supposed to be like. Well, I, I you know it's up to all of us to to try and keep it. If you are the dealer, I'm out of the game. <laughs> Leonard, of course, Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer. If you are the healer, I'm broken and lame. It's amazing, you know that that song which I'm referring to is "You Want a Darker," which we've quoted many times. You know, it, those are two metaphors for for God. God is dealing. God is healing. Um, and and um, and how we relate to those metaphors. And so, you look, even reading Bukhukotai, you know, as as modern Jews who uh, are inspired by many, many different things, you know, a person is likely to read these chapters and say, I'm out, I'm out. Uh, this is not what I what I signed on for. It's very difficult to read it and very difficult. Well, you know, the, that's, this is, you can imagine people, but 
if you are a theist, yes. and Bechulzot, I am, <laughs> um, you know, you you can say I'm out, but you still live in God's universe. And and that's the that's the amazing thing about that Leonard Cohen song. He's like, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I, I, he does kind of say I'm out, and he says, Hineni, right? Here I am. Hineni. So I'm, I'm, I'm ready, my Lord. I'm ready, I'm ready. So, so in a way, there's there's also acceptance. So I guess, look, be, being historical conservative Jews, we look at these texts in a context. We put them in historical context and see them not as a, the end of the discussion, but the, the beginning of a discussion, and that it's one voice. It's one voice of a theology. There are many, many voices of a theology. A theology which has as its core the maintenance of one God, certainly, but um, the, this experience of God and conditionality, unconditionality, more in terms of God as merciful and compassionate rather than God as punishing, despite the fact that, you know, we, 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 we experience a history that has often been interpreted as, as mipnei chata'enu, because of our sins, we have nitrachaknu mi'alartzenu, we, we've been exiled from our land, that, very very difficult to 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 um reconcile that you know yeah it's it's deep i have something else to say that's go ahead small it's not nearly as deep as that but it's in the category so i'm thinking about odelia's bat mitzvah which was in 2016 it was in may of 2016 which which, first of all septennial cycle but it was also before the 2016 presidential election which now seems like i'm saying something like this was this was before rutherford b hayes got elected you know it seems like it was a really long time ago the bottom was very close but but this is before donald trump Ooh. but anyway it, this is in the, just an observation about many times as you could as read the turret there's always something new to discover and this is like blatantly obvious and i didn't notice it until Odell was preparing for Bab Mitzvah, the last line of chapter 26 of Leviticus is, These are the laws, rules, instructions that God established between Moses and Mount Sinai, between himself and the Israelite people. And then the last line of chapter 27 is, These are the commandments which the Lord gave Moses to the Israelite people on Mount Sinai. The book ends twice. It ends, the book of Leviticus ends at the end of chapter 26. And it's, oh, oh, wait. And then there's chapter 27, and then it ends again. It's the, it's the as we we conservative Jews, we, we non-Orthodox Jews like to notice the ways in which the Torah is, you know, it didn't spring out at one time. It's edited. It's got different things that seem compatible or sometimes seem incompatible. And when I first noticed things, like, my goodness, chapter 27 is an appendix to an otherwise ending book of Leviticus. That was the craziest thing. Yes, but it also ends with the word chazak, which is not a biblical word, but it's our word, right? The coda. The coda is that these were the laws at Mount Sinai, and then the reprise. These were the laws of Mount Sinai. This is ending the book. It's an end. It's another phase of our lives as we journey through the um, the Torah together. And it's a phase that our, our viewers and listeners have been so loyal to us and so kind and generous with their comments. We thank you for them. 
uh, we, we thank you for coming along this journey. So with the, that, we're going to conclude the book of Vayikra. Let's just make a shout out to all the viewers and listeners. Chazak, chazak. Chazak, chazak. Be strong. Shabbat shalom. We'll see you next week. Shabbat shalom. Next edition of...